This episode of On The Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Hey everybody, Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles On The Beat. And you can see I've got all my Senior Bowl stuff. The hat was a giveaway. They gave the media this year. I bought the uh, top. A few years ago when I was down there, it was kind of chilly and I liked it. So, um, yeah, Mobile, Alabama was down there for five days and talked to a lot of people about a lot of Georgia Bulldogs. The dogs had, what, four guys on the field practicing, three guys that played in the game. And, of course, a lot of the NFL personnel down there always ask about other guys and Georgia football and what Kirby Smart's doing to, to make the dogs so special. And, you know, the answer is just hard work. You guys know I've covered a lot of programs over the last, gosh, I can't believe I'm saying it, but 30 years. I guess it's 30 years, yeah, from Auburn to Alabama to Tennessee to Michigan State. The last five years at Georgia, seen a lot of Hall of Fame coaches. And I can tell you that Kirby Smart pushes as hard as any of them. And there's no shortcuts. Uh, it's cutthroat in Georgia. Kirby's out there trying to recruit the next guy to beat you out. There is no equity. You may have a starting job now, but that doesn't mean you're going to have one next year. And it doesn't matter who you are. You know, I just did an interview in Mobile on a radio station tonight, and it was interesting. I knew that sooner or later they were going to ask me about Stetson Bennett. I said, okay, everybody, everybody always wants to ask about Stetson Bennett. And, and I said, look, Stetson Bennett's going to get a chance in the NFL. You know, if you look at where the NFL is moving now with mobile quarterbacks, and when you look at more teams carrying three quarterbacks right now, I think that bodes well for Stetson to have an opportunity. So I think we're going to see Stetson, if not on a 53-man roster, on a practice squad. So I think we're going to see Stetson Bennett. I think his career is going to continue now. There was a lot of buzz and a lot of people asked me, why didn't he go to the senior bowl? I can't answer that question, but he has really good agents that also represent Tua and Patrick Mahomes. So I've got to think that there was a decision made based on whether or not that would be a good situation for Stetson to compete there. It it doesn't always make sense to go to an all-star game and compete in that sort of drill work. I think Stetson's more of a gamer than a practice player, just to be quite frank with you. Uh, I think we saw the best of him come out in pressure situations in games. I don't know that he was a great practice player when I think back to the G-Day game last year. It didn't really go well for him. And then you add to it that I think quarterbacks are kind of set up to fail in these all-star games. You think about it, you get handed a playbook and you get three practices to try to look good in a game. And if you're Stetson, the last time you were out, you had six touchdowns. You had four passes and two rushing touchdowns. So, you know, in the one sense, it would have been good for him to be there to meet with these coaches, for them to get some face time, to know the player. But then, you know, from a calculated sense, you know, maybe he didn't want to compete, you know, side by side in a situation where what if, what if Max Duggan does practice better than him? Right. Or the guy from Stanford, you know, better to leave it to the imagination. Now, as far as what happened in Dallas, I think we've all 
read about it, probably talked about it, water cooler talk. It was, from what I understand, talking to one of his teammates, they said, hey, that was just, you know, one situation. They don't think that Stetson has a bigger problem. So that was a relief for me to hear. What will happen is all the NFL teams will ask him about it. And like Jim Nagy said, and some of you might have saw this on the SEC Network, a lot of it is going to be how Stetson deals with it. So I, 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 I never ignore the elephant in the room. I know you guys don't watch this show to, to get any puff. Uh, you, you want the real truth. And to me, that's the real truth. Him and his agents made a decision not to go to the Senior Bowl. Um, you know, his situation, from what I understand, he was looking for a, a friend when he was banging on doors early morning in uh, Dallas and got arrested for public uh, intoxication. So now it's what happens next. Here's the thing we know about Stetson. He's a resilient guy and he's overcome odds before. That's what we do know. So I'm not writing him off. I think you're going to see him again, if not on a 53 man roster on a practice squad. I don't know if he gets drafted. If he does probably not higher than the fifth or sixth round. But again, he's going to have an opportunity at the NFL combine in a month, about nine or 10 Georgia guys will. And I think how Stetson does at the combine will go a long way towards whether he gets drafted or signed as a free agent and where he goes. Remember, Todd Munkin told us the college game is shifting to the NFL. You're seeing more teams with mobile quarterbacks now. So uh, just to get that out of the way. And, and when they asked me about Stetson, I said, look, he's a resilient guy. I, I think he's a good quarterback. I, I know he got better from his junior to his senior year. I don't know much more beyond that. How would he do in an NFL system? It depends on the system. So questions for me, uh, thoughts. Um, and now let's talk about the guys that were there. Uh, I'm going to start out with Jack Podlesny because I was, I, I didn't know, and I still can't say I know Jack extremely well. All of my dealings with Jack Podlesny though, have been really positive. Jack strikes me as a very compassionate intellectual, intelligent young man. I, I said today on Athens Radio, the rep, I said, you know, I wish I owned a company so I could hire Jack Podlesny one day. I mean, this guy has got it all together and he's very conscientious. You know, kickers are all built a little different, but like Jack Podlesny really cares. Like he really cares. I almost wonder if he cares too much. Um he missed a field goal in the game, but he was really good in practice all week and he made a field goal. And you saw throughout his Georgia career, he was outstanding. You think about the 53-yard field goal against Cincinnati that saved a top 10 finish. Georgia's finished in the top 10 every year since 2017. That doesn't happen without Jack Podlesny's big time kick in 2020. Uh, his kicks just seemed automatic after time. And um, but what I was really impressed with was the fact that Jack came and competed in this game. He got a call up and he responded right away. He had the opportunity uh, to wear the G one more time. But more importantly, Jack saw an opportunity to support a teammate. He found out that he would be rooming with Warren McClendon. And it's been well documented that Warren was in a car accident with two other Georgia program members that lost their lives. Chandler LaCroix and Devin Willick and and Warren was in the front seat of that car and miraculously walked away he had a minor head injury he went to the hospital for um, and yet there he was at the senior bowl 
Jim Nagy invited Warren McClendon. He said, look, if you're healthy enough to play, we'll give you a shot. And Warren took it. Warren McClendon was playing football less than three weeks after being in that accident. And I know you folks saw that, the terrible pictures of that excursion just was like an accordion. And somehow McClendon walks away and somehow Warren is down there on that field behind me in Mobile, Alabama, competing in drill work one-on-one with some of the best defensive ends and defensive tackles in the country. And I was just floored when I saw him out there and I was so impressed. Now he didn't win every rep, but nobody does down here. This is the best of the best, right? Now underclassmen aren't here, but after that, it's all the seniors. There were some first round picks that he was going against. And I thought Warren more than held his own. After the first practice, Warren came off the field and there were some media people there. DJ Shockley and Zach Klein spoke with him before he did any interviews and made sure that, hey, Warren, are you sure you want to talk to the media today? Everybody's been very respectful of the Georgia players. Obviously, it's a it's a tough time. And Warren wanted to talk the first day and, and think about this. And I talked with Podlesny about this. Warren knew and knows that in his NFL interviews, he will be asked about that accident. And Warren told us that he is seeing a psychiatrist to help deal with this. I mean, think about how traumatic this is for him. So rather than let it weigh on his mind, rather than let media come up with some narrative, there are other details that we don't need to get into, Warren decided on day one, let me talk about this and get this out of the way. And he did a really good interview. You can find that interview on our YouTube page. And I was really impressed. I'm thinking I'm, I'm, I'm watch, I've watched him practice. And, and I was really proud that, that he was on the freshman All-American team. I have a big role in that every year, as you all know, with the football writers. And I'm really proud that he was a member of one of the football writers All-American teams that, that, uh, that we put out. And I'm thinking to myself while he's speaking and answering tough questions, this is a man's man. This this is not a boy. This is a grown man. And he has a dream to play in the NFL. And the NFL is not going to move their schedule or their timeline back. They're not going to say, you know what, let's move this back a few months because Warren is coming out of a bad city. No, this is it. This is his opportunity right now. This is his window, and Warren McClendon stepped to the plate at one of the most challenging times in life. And I was just blown away. I was blown away by the power. I was blown away by the maturity. I was blown away by the character and really impressed. And and, and then I saw him practice well. So... Um, you know, Kirby Smart's growing men over there, real men. Character is a part of the Georgia program. Um, Podlesny tells me that when he heard about the accident, he was already gone, but he just had this feeling that he wanted to do something to help. How, what, what can he do? And lo and behold, here's his opportunity to come to the Senior Bowl and room with Warren and support his teammate. This is connectedness. This is what is separating Georgia from other programs around the country. 
Guys like Warren McClendon, guys like Jack Podlesny and Kenny McIntosh and Chris Smith. And I'm going to tell you about those guys here in a minute. I'd never seen anything like it. I've covered a lot of senior bowls, probably a dozen of them over the years. And I've never seen that sort of compassion, that sort of emotion or drama off the field. In addition to what we were watching on the field from these guys, because the practices are where the guys make their money. Now, the game, it's an exhibition, but you can imagine with only three days practice, it's not going to be real slick or real smooth. But the practices, that one-on-one drill work, man, it's on. It is on. And the competition is so intense. And all the NFL teams are there. I mean, you see the sidelines. Those are all NFL people that are everywhere. Those are all NFL people. So I was impressed. I was impressed with Podlesny, the character that he showed, the teammate that he is, being there for Warren, being his roommate, and, and, and talk, or he said not talk. Whatever Warren needed, Jack was there. They're both South Georgia guys, so they probably know each other a bit. They've been on the same team for a long time, but that was really cool. That was, that was a display of the connectedness that Kirby Smart talks about, the skull sessions that he started doing. And, and Kenny and Chris were also there for Warren. Um, you know, Kenny and Chris had been training together in South Florida. So I guess I'll start with soldier Chris or soldier Chris, as he has on his Instagram. You know, I said at the beginning of the year that Chris Smith was the most indispensable player on the team, because if he's gone, there's not another, there's, there's a big drop off to what's next. I think most other positions, there was other talented guys that could play it or the drop off wouldn't be that big, but there's only one Chris Smith and the intangibles that Chris brought, the timing of those plays, the the pick six against Clemson, if that doesn't happen, Georgia doesn't get a mulligan, doesn't get to play Alabama again in 2021. I I think about the LSU game this year. LSU outgained Georgia about 148 to 90 in the first quarter, and and they're going to kick a field goal. I think Nazir Stackhouse blocked it, but for Chris to be that alert, to scoop that ball up and go, he's just that guy. NFL teams love guys with that sort of uh, ability to make those plays. There's just it's an it factor, and Chris has got it. Chris came in about 188. He's he's about five or ten pounds lighter than they like. But when you see him, his neck is so he's so developed. He's so ready. He could have gone last year to the pros. He was a guy that came back to get that second ring. Uh, Looked really good Uh, in the game. He had two of the first three tackles and then they moved him back off the ball. And I was like, okay, whatever. But we got to see Chris play some cornerback. He did well in drills. He got beat one time. Uh, A Virginia receiver made a really nice catch in the back of the end zone on a fade. There wasn't much Chris could have done. I know another time he might've grabbed a Jersey, but I, I watched all of his drill work. He had, he had at least four or five batted down passes looked really good in coverage. He's a really good tackler in open space. I was talking to an NFL guy about him. Uh, They like the instincts. They like the tackling. They like the toughness. He needs to run a good number at the NFL combine. He needs to be in that 4-4 range. Uh, And I think you could see Chris in the second round with a really good combine. He needs a really good combine. 
Um, had a chance to talk to Chris. I don't know if you all saw the video. Um, you know, he held up his helmet and said, man, I'm going to cherish this G. I'm going to cherish the helmet. I, again, you talk about a guy that loves the program. To play for Smart in that secondary, it's tough. There's not many guys that make it all four years. You think about it, right? But Chris, I think, was a guy that, you know, really came in and I think really became one of Kirby's favorite players. Um, you remember the circumstance, Richie LeCount got in the motorcycle wreck in 2020. And it was Chris that got thrown in there. I don't know that he was really ready in 2020, but man, when he came back in 2021, he came back on a mission. And even this year, he looked bigger and stronger than ever. So I was really happy for Chris. He had a really good week. Uh, he was all over the field in the game. I think he finished with four or five tackles. Um, just did a great job and showed some versatility in pass coverage. Next up is the combine. And then there's Kenny McIntosh. And, and Kenny kind of stole the show, with the fans at least. Um, Georgia fans probably saw him get real fan-friendly. Um, I think Kenny is a guy who could have, should have been a bigger star. But, you know, Georgia's got that deep rotation. And, and Del McGee was so loyal to Zamir White. Wanted to get him all the touchdowns and get him drafted as high as possible. And they did that. You know, Kenny, kind of at Kenny's expense. But Kenny was patient. Kenny's a team guy. Kenny's a team captain. And Kirby called Kenny the alpha leader of the offense. He said when he speaks, everyone listens. Kenny had the locker room. Because of that patience, because of that team first attitude, when NFL teams see a guy like Kenny McIntosh, all the arrows go up. Now, Jameer Gibbs may be higher on the draft list right now. I thought Jameer Gibbs had a great season at Alabama. I thought he looked a little more explosive than Kenny. Um, I don't know that his routes are as good. I don't know that his pass blocking is good. Kenny was standing people up in, in pass, but he was by far and away the most physical and the best blocker. His hands were great. He did drop a pass in the game. I'm going to take the blame for that because I brought it up to him at the media day. I said, Kenny, you didn't drop a pass your whole career. We both knocked on wood, or at least maybe we thought it was wood. Maybe it wasn't wood. And he got that drop. And I told his dad, Richard, I said, well, that's good. We'll just get this drop out of the way. He can start a whole nother streak in the NFL. Uh, but Kenny went his whole career at Georgia without a drop pass. You guys saw it. Kirby talked about it at the parade, how he took over the Missouri game, um, took over against Florida, took over against Kentucky, took over against Georgia Tech. Um, you know, he didn't get the All-American or All-Star awards. Um, a lot of the tension was always going other places. It was kind of the, you know, everyone loved the story about Stetson, and we kind of heard it every week. So you didn't hear as much about guys like Kenny and Lad McConkie um, you know, Brock Bowers was another big name we hear a lot of. And why wouldn't you? He's a two time All-American and a first ballot Hall of Famer, just like I think Chris is. You know, when I think about guys that made All-American that are eligible, I think Chris Smith, uh, Brock Bowers. I think those guys are both all are both Hall of Famers. I think Jordan Davis off last year's team. Um, I have to think about who some of the other guys were that were All-American last year. But Jordan Davis comes to mind. Um, but, but Kenny, Kenny probably won't be in the, in the college football hall of fame. Um, but people are going to remember how special he was. And in mobile, I'll tell you, he stayed after practice every day. He signed all these autographs, had that big smile. He represented Georgia 
in such a great way. Uh, when he first went on stage, they had a kind of a parade for the players Friday night. It's Mardi Gras City, as you guys know. And Nelly was here, the performing artist. And Kenny got brought on stage, of course, right? Because Kenny's Kenny. And when he got introduced as a two-time national champ, there were some, you know, scattered boot Alabama fans. All and Kenny just played it off. He just plays it off. And, and by the end of the night, everybody's, everybody's wanting his autograph. Everybody knows his name. He just, he just took over the town this week. Easily. Uh, one of the top two or three most popular players. They just loved him. And the, the people at practice, he broke that 65-yard run. You saw me put that video out. It was just, I guess for me, it was gratifying because I felt like at Georgia, he never really got his due. I mean, we talked so much about Zamir and James Cook the last three years, and Kenny was just kind of always in the background. He was always there when he needed him. He was there on the game-winning drive against Cincinnati with those three catches, and, you know, he flashed some other big runs. But it was always about Zamir and – James and Del McGee really liked those guys. And I understand that Del put a lot into recruiting those guys. That's understandable. And then it was Kenny's turn this year. They had to kind of be careful with them because they only had three healthy scholarship backs. Remember Andrew got hurt and, and Kendall was hurt at the beginning of the year. So he wasn't really putting up super big numbers on the ground as much as he was catching passes. And we saw him rely on Dejan. You know, Kirby was really smart. He had to manage Kenny carefully to make sure that he had a healthy Kenny in November and December and January. Um, he, obviously, Kenny did have a big game against Oregon with, I don't know, what was it, nine catches for 122 yards. But he never really got the superstar treatment at Georgia, but he did at the Senior Bowl. So I was happy for him. He was happy. Um, I think he suffered a slightly sprained elbow, he told me, so he – he wanted to go back in there like, nah, you're fine. You know, just stay out the second half. He was in great spirits. He was signing autographs. He's going to be fine. The training will continue. Kenny, like Chris, needs a really big, really big combine. He needs to run in the four fours to get into that second round. And that's kind of what you're aiming for if you're Georgia. Um, you've got, what, four or five potential first rounders. So Jalen Carter is still being talked about as the Chicago Bears' first pick unless they trade it. Um, but they like Jalen Carter a little bit more than Will Anderson, I'm told. Uh, Broderick Jones has really moved up. I've seen him uh, you know, go from the start of the season, second or third round, by the end of the year, first round. Now we're looking at first 15 picks in the first round. Broderick is looked at as a guy that's not a finished product, but that's not a bad thing because that means there's upside, right? They love his raw skills. They love the athleticism. They love how violent that he plays. He had a great year at left tackle, didn't give up any sacks. Um, so I think Broderick Jones is probably the second guy off the board. I'll, I'll tell you a guy that we probably underestimate. We all know he's big, no pun intended. But just because Darnell didn't have a lot of catches, right? I mean, we think about Brock Bowers and all the catches in the yards. NFL teams love Darnell Washington. They love him because he can play like an offensive tackle. He can legit block anybody over there, anybody. And he's got great hands and he runs really good routes. Huge upside. Darnell Washington, first round pick. Feel very strong about that. All three of those guys are first round blocks, I would say. Now, Nolan Smith is another guy when he goes to the combine, 
that physical is going to be very important. Remember, he had the surgery, and he missed late in the year. What was it, the Florida game he got injured? So what is his timeline as far as being able to work out? I don't really know. I do think that hurts his stock a little bit. Now, Nolan was explosive coming off the edge, uh, a very good pass rusher. I don't think he was quite at the Aziz Ajilari level, but he's very good, a little undersized, but boy, is he fast. Um, I hope that Nolan is able to run at least by pro day, if not by the combine next month. But he's been projected as a first-rounder. To me, that bears watching first round, early second. I think the medical examinations that he has in Indianapolis are going to be really big for him. And then you get into that territory with with Chris and Kenny uh, as second round, early second, mid-second, late second, early third, depending. But definitely second second day guys. Um, you know, Warren McClendon being in Mobile, Alabama, I got to tell you, that's he, he's a little undersized at 290. And early projections, he was a very late round pick free agent. I've just got to believe, and all it takes is one team, but I got to believe that more than one team saw what Warren McClendon was all about being down here. I really, I think it's, I think it means something. I think you look at a guy like that and go, you know what? That is a dude. That is a dude that's going to do whatever it takes for his team. Um, that's a professional. And, and I think Warren really helped himself. I really do. I hope the combine goes well. Um, that's going to be important. I know Warren's training, um, not as athletic as Broderick Jones. He's a football player. Okay. Um, and he, he makes football plays. So it's going to be interesting. We talked about Stetson earlier in the show. And his stock, you know, Warren Erickson was a guy that went pro. And I, I guess I I don't know enough to really say what I think. Um, I'd like to see Warren get drafted. He's a super smart guy. He can play anywhere on the line. He's a center that gives him a shot. Um, those guys are always in demand. At the very least, I think you see Warren Erickson as a free agent on the practice squad. Would have liked to have seen him come back for another year at Georgia. Obviously, he couldn't have known uh, when he announced his decision that there would be a, a tragic event with, with Devin that would probably affect the, the depth a little bit. Um, but we'll see how that plays out. So uh, Robert Beal and Kiaris Jackson are two guys that played in the uh, East-West Shrine game. I, I didn't see him. I didn't see the game, um, and I didn't see their names in the box. That doesn't mean they didn't have a good week of practice. You know, Kiaris is a pro's pro. And even though somebody might make the argument that, you know, there's a hundred guys like Kiaris's size and speed and weight, he's just such a consummate professional in everything he does. I think he's got a shot to, to make a roster. And Beal is another guy, you know, talk about perseverance, a six-year guy and stuck around and um, played really hard, was a team leader. He's another guy, could go late, potential free agent. Um, so we'll see. But that's kind of my parting thoughts uh, from the Senior Bowl. There was a lot of people talking about a lot of other people um, wanting to know about Georgia football, and, and I told them how, how it is how it is up here. It, these guys, it, it's not – this isn't for everybody. It's not easy to play for Georgia. I did talk to Tyreek Stevenson, speaking of guys that transferred out, and I haven't written the story yet, but sneak peek for you guys – Tyreek cried when Georgia won the title. He was so happy. He stayed in touch with these guys. 
Um, he told me he learned so much from Kirby Smart in Georgia. He just felt like Miami gave him a better opportunity from a playing standpoint. Um, but he was really professional, very professional. I'm going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, the Michigan and Ohio State player that I talked to, both guys from both those teams. They blew my minds talking smack, but it's Michigan and Ohio State. They're the kings of the Big Ten, and they don't really take a backseat to many. And they made it very clear how they felt about Georgia. And uh, also talk about Todd Munkin. I wrote a story today sharing how much money I think he should be paid. And then let's take a look at the Alabama hires. And what does that mean that Tommy Reese and Kevin Steele will be at Alabama? I'll take your questions as well. Right now, it's our halftime break. Let's recognize our sponsor, Ingles. That Ingles sells more organics than any other store, or that they run their own dairy, or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else, or that they have energy smart stores, or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department, or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles, low prices, love the savings. Welcome back to the program. Mike Griffith here. I'm looking at the comments and man, you guys are really uh, getting after it in there. I don't understand what, uh, what exactly is going on. I haven't really been watching a whole lot of the comments here, but uh, looks like you guys are having some fun in there. So don't let me interrupt. A um, couple stories here. Let's start, let's start out talking about Munkin. And here's what you need to put in the back of your mind when it comes to Munkin. Okay. 1989-1990, Grand Valley State GA. Okay, two years. 1991-92, Notre Dame GA. Okay, that's normal. 93-97, to 97, Eastern Michigan, defensive backs and wide receivers. Do you think that Todd Munkin knew back then that 93, 4, 5, 6, 7, that five years would be the longest stint that he, had, that he would have at any one place? Actually, longer, 93, 99, Eastern Michigan, OC wide receiver. Do you think he knew when he was at Eastern Michigan that that was the long – and I've been to Ypsilanti. I grew up about 45 miles from there. Do you think Todd Monk – I was actually uh, – oh, no, I wasn't there in Michigan when he was there. Do you think he knew that those six or seven years would be the – so then Louisiana Tech, 2000, 2001. Oklahoma State, 2002, 2004. LSU, 2005, 2006. Jacksonville Jaguars, 2007 to 2010, four years in the NFL. Oklahoma State, two years, 2011, 2012. Southern Miss head coach, three years, 13, 14, and 15. Tampa Bay offensive coordinator with Jameis Winston, 16 and 17. 18 is offensive coordinator, three years. One year with the Cleveland Browns and Freddie Kitchens, and now three years with Georgia. And we know that he's interviewed with Tampa Bay, and he's interviewed with Baltimore. So what's Todd Munkin going to do? What is it really all about? Does Munkin have unfinished business in the NFL? Is the lure that great? Is recruiting that bad? Is it that tough? It, it, it is probably a little bit more BS than you got to deal with in the pros, but he's got a lot more job security, George. Or does he? One bad season, right? Um, I think George is going to match whatever offer he gets. I've talked to people to feel confident that money will not be the issue. If Todd Munkin leaves Georgia, it's not going to be because Josh Brooks or Kirby Smart didn't come up with the money. 
it's going to be because he feels a calling to go to the NFL now. I've only been to Baltimore a few times, and it's probably not one of my top five favorite cities, I would say, uh, or top 10 or 20 for that matter. But in the NFL, it's really not about – it's where his wife lives, but where does he live? To me, I wonder if the Todd Munkin wife plays a role. They've moved around a lot. I wonder if she says, you know what? I like it here. I like the Georgia people. People are good to us here. You're respected. And this is a really nice place to live. And besides, these kids love you. Brock Vandergriff, Carson Beck, Gunnar Stockton. They all believe in you. You don't want to leave them behind. I wonder if that's like what the wife says, what Kirby says, what the fans say. What's the NFL saying? It's just such a quick game and such a hustle. And I'll be honest, John Harbaugh, I lost some respect for him when he just blatantly, purposely overlooked Georgia when he talked about Michigan and Alabama preparing players for the NFL better than anywhere else. I, I thought he did that on purpose. I thought that was, I thought that was a cheap shot aimed at Georgia. I mean, the guy hasn't been in an AFC championship game in 10 years. He's, he did win a Super Bowl. That was 10 years ago. Some guys, you know, but, but he's very well liked. Um, look, I'm, I'm sure he's a great head coach. Does Todd Munkin want to go to Baltimore? I, I don't know. He had the second interview there. Tampa Bay is probably a nicer place to live, but such a shaky situation. We'll see. I don't have the answer. I got to ask flat out, what do you think? And I said, you know what? I, I really don't know. If I had a feel or I felt like I had a good guess, I would share it. I just don't have a feel for it. I just don't know what's going on. Because on the one hand, I could understand the challenge of the NFL and you want to win a Super Bowl, right? Everybody does. But on the other hand, you got this guy, Carson Beck that's been studying under you for three years and Beck is an NFL prototype. I mean, Carson Beck could be a Heisman trophy candidate next year. And then you got Brock Vandergriff who also is, is ready to go. And, and maybe Gunner, I, I don't know, but I feel like Munkin, even though he says it's a business and it's not a family, I feel like he has connected to this program in a special way. But at the same time, if you look at his career path, and I shared it with you, he's been somewhat of a mercenary. He goes where the money is and where the opportunities are. And, and most coaches have to do that, assistant coaches, because they don't have the big buyouts like head coaches. Not that he needs to worry about Kirby getting sacked because that didn't happen. But he's got about as good about as much job security as you could possibly have, especially with that schedule next year. Do you think maybe it's just not enough of a challenge? I mean, Georgia's schedule next year is – such a pushover. I said earlier today I thought Georgia Tech would be the toughest game, but not the closest. I think it's the toughest game because it's a trap game. You, Georgia plays at Tennessee, which will probably be the closest game, and then Tech, and then the SEC championship game, which I'm just going to go ahead and pencil them into. I just can't envision a scenario where they don't win the East again. So I think that's a tough time to play tech between Tennessee and the SEC title game. We'll see. We'll see how it pans out. So I did talk to other players down at the Senior Bowl. And two of the guys I talked to were from Ohio State and Michigan. 
And I want to be clear that these guys were just talking off the top of their head. I, I did tell them I covered Georgia. That was fine. They're down there to talk to everybody. And Dewan Jones, he was Jordan Davis size. He was six foot eight and 359 pounds. And he set a new record for the longest wingspan. And he'll be a guy they talk about at the combine. He's a little stiff. He's not as good a football player as Broderick Jones. I don't know that he's a first-round pick, but he's a guy that's going to be up there. Anyway, I, I talked to Dewan Jones about Georgia. And I said, how were you guys able to stay close to Georgia when nobody else really did? And he said, we felt like they were a little bit fat and lazy, undefeated. He said, so that was one of our major things to focus on. They were ripe. Well, that was a mouthful. I did not expect him to say that Ohio State thought Georgia was fat and lazy. I asked him who he blocked, and he said he blocked down on Jalen Carter a few times. And then he said that his coaches, the coaches told their offensive line that sometimes Jalen Carter gets tired and doesn't play as hard. And I was really like, wow, you know, you might have to see Jalen Carter again someday. <laughs> That's kind of what I was thinking. But, you know, Ohio State is Ohio State. And I, you know, the years I spent went going to Michigan State and then going back and covering Michigan State, Ohio State is kind of like the Big Ten's version of Florida. There's a lot of confidence there. They don't apologize for anything. And they don't take a back seat to anyone. They were not intimidated by Georgia. You saw the game. Uh, whether or not they would have won if Marvin Harrison stayed healthy. We know it came down to a field goal. I thought it was a great Georgia win. Um, you heard Stetson say that he didn't think he played well for 30 minutes, but he played really well in the fourth quarter. Um that was one of the best football games I've seen in a long time. Re really a great come from behind win for Georgia. And we, none of us were used to seeing that. Like every game we've seen of Georgia the last, I don't know, even when they lost to Alabama, I thought they were better than Alabama. It, both times, every time I've seen them play Alabama, I thought they were better. I, I really did head to head. So, but of the Ohio state, that was one time when I, in, in Clemson's, the beginning of the 2021 season, that incredible Clemson defense that was number two. There's only been a couple of games, I guess, in the last five years where you say, wow, those guys on the other side of the ball are just as good and better in some places, man, right? C.J. Stroud was like, blow your mind good that night. Marvin Harrison was the best receiver in the game. That's not being mean to anybody. That's just the truth. Ohio State played a great game that night. And to watch Georgia win when they didn't play a great game, that is the mark of a championship team. You can't always be at your best. Things aren't always going to go your way. But when you've got that connectedness, remember at the start of the show when I was talking about Jack Podlesny and Warren McClendon and how they were there for each other and how Kenny McIntosh and Chris Smith are working out together and pushing each other. That connectedness, those are the things that enable a team to get through a game like that. And, and Georgia needed it. I mean, it, it couldn't have been any closer. I mean, if they're 10 yards closer, they probably 
Well, I don't know, probably, but maybe they make the field goal. So, uh, but getting back to Dwan Jones, I was like, okay, you know, Dwan Jones, that is kind of funny that Georgia would be fat and lazy. I'm thinking they really, now they had to tell their guys something to convince them they could beat Georgia, right? They had to tell their guys something because Georgia looked so unbeatable all you well, except for, you know, in the big games, Georgia looked unbeatable. Against Oregon, they looked unbeatable. Uh, at times on against LSU, they looked unbeatable, offensively at least. Uh, so they had to tell their guys something. And they told me it might be fat and lazy. So then I talked to this guy, Ronnie Bell from Michigan. And it's kind of funny because I was actually trying to get a guy, I want to say his name was Ronnie Hickman, something like that. He had played DB for Ohio State. I was wanting to talk to him. And the lady from the senior bowl said, oh, that's him over there. So I start talking to Ronnie Bell thinking he's this Ohio State DB. And he's like, no, man, I play for Michigan. And I'm like, oh, well, since we're talking, um, let's talk about last year's game against Georgia. How much motivation was that for Michigan? And Ronnie said, it definitely set the bar for the University of Michigan. That's where we want to be. We want to be national championship contenders and knocking on that door and making real noise every year. And then Ronnie told me how, how Michigan prepares for Ohio State all year. And then he said, we prepare for Georgia. He said, Georgia, a lot like Ohio. He kept calling Ohio State Ohio, by the way. So if you didn't know, there's this thing between Ohio State and Michigan. So like Ohio State doesn't call Michigan, Michigan. They call them the team up north. Michigan doesn't call Ohio State, Ohio State. They call them Ohio. There is an Ohio Bobcats team, by the way. So I laughed and corrected him, and he kept calling them Ohio, and it made it even funnier. As you know, I, I did go to Michigan State, so I know all this Michigan, Ohio State stuff. Um, and then I'm like, yeah, Michigan State beat both of them. So anyway, so Ronnie Bell says, Georgia, a lot like Ohio, was a team that we watched all year. He said, that was a team we were preparing for all year. I said, wait a minute. You were preparing for Georgia all year long? He said, that's who we were thinking about, and that's who we wanted to get our hands on. He said, so that's another reason whenever we laid an egg against TCU, it hurt so bad because we were being we were so close to being right back to where we were wanting to be. And I was like, wow. I mean, this sounds like psycho stalker, like – Michigan's watching Georgia all year. Like, dude, you don't even know if you're going to see Georgia. They did. They obviously knew Georgia was going to be back and they planned to be there. And I'll bet you, I'll bet you that that cost them against TCU. I bet they weren't as focused on TCU as they should have been. And they gave TCU like 28 points. When you think about Jim Harbaugh's terrible call at the goal line, the two pick sixes, I mean, they were they they could have easily and should have won that game. Do I think they'd have beaten Georgia? No, I I don't think so. I don't think so. But you never know. But it was an eye opener, and I wrote the story, and I'll, I guarantee you that this story will make it on the bulletin board. That's not why I wrote it. I wrote it because it was interesting to me what these players had to say about Georgia. But I know how Georgia works, and Kirby Smart's going to say, "Guys, you see that." Everybody thinks they want you. They think they want you. And then, her, and then Kirby turns it around. Remember when he said, we're not practicing to beat this. We're practicing to, to beat all of them. 
this is a shot in the arm for Georgia to see just how aggressive and how hunted they are. And that's why every week they have to maintain that aggressor role. I looked at next year's schedule. I'm going to Google it for you right now. And I thought to myself, this reminds me a little bit of the end of the 2021 season when they played a couple of garbage teams. They played a bad Georgia Tech. They played like College of Charleston or something like that. Just two really bad teams. And then when they played Alabama, it was like, oh, my gosh, you know, the lights came on and you're playing a real team again. And they just – you remember, they lost 41-24. So they opened with UT Martin Skyhawks. And that's a – that's not a great team. Then they play Ball State. Again, that's a team you just overwhelm. South Carolina comes in here. Do we put the dogs on upset watch with Spencer Rattler back? Aware that South Carolina beat Tennessee and Clemson at the end of last year? Are you a little worried about South Carolina? Just a little bit? The last team to beat Georgia in Sanford Stadium. South Carolina. I think they beat South Carolina handily. I could be wrong, but I don't feel like South Carolina has what it takes in the trenches. So I'm going to give the dogs a 21-point win in that one. Maybe it stays close for a little while. I just don't think Rattler can work enough magic. Then they play UAB. That's the Trent Dilfer team, by the way. He's coaching them now. Uh, he can't be any worse than the Bill Clark guy was. And, and I'm sorry, but I heard all this stuff in 2021 about what a great coach Bill Clark was. And, and forgive me, I'm sure he did a lot of wonderful things, but that day in Sanford Stadium, he was awful. Todd Munkin made him look like a junior high school coach with the formations and the schemes and guys just running wide open because UAB was so outcoached by Todd Munkin that day. I don't know what Trent Dilfer's team's going to look like. Then they play at Auburn. Now it gets interesting. So they're at home for the first four games of the year. And on September 30th, we're going to find out about Hugh Freeze. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Hugh Freeze was at Ole Miss and beat Kirby back in 2016. So, and it's Auburn. Kirby is not an Auburn fan. Kirby will put points on Auburn. Remember when he ran the fake field goal against Gunsmell's on in the closing minutes? I asked him about it, and he had some really bad logic. And I pressed him on it, and he snapped back at me because that's what Kirby does because he is the head coach, and he is a Hall of Famer. And even when he's wrong, he's right, if you know what I mean. He's not the only coach to do that. Um, so I'm fine with it. It was my job to ask. It was his job to snap back. But he ran – he was looking to run the score up on Auburn a few years ago. He'll run the score up on Hugh Freeze. I promise you. If he gets the chance – at Auburn, Kirby can't help himself with some of these teams. The, the Georgia blood runs too hard. And Kentucky at home October 7th, has Kentucky jumped the shark? I mean, have we seen the best? They had Will Levis. He's a projected first-rounder. They had Chris Rodriguez, the league's leading returning rusher. And they had good line play. They played Georgia 17-7. to Obviously, Georgia couldn't throw the ball that day. It was a big day for Kenny. I just don't I, – I think Mike Stoops is – I think they're done. I don't think there's anything left in the tank. I think Kentucky had its window, and now Tennessee is the team on deck. Maybe South Carolina too. We'll see. 
Then Georgia plays at Vanderbilt. This is a, a favorite road trip for the Georgia fans to take over the stadium, to go to downtown Nashville, celebrate, have fun um, before the week off. And then you get to go to Jacksonville. Don't you think Nashville is a better city than Jacksonville when it comes to where you want to hang out and do things? See, I kind of think it is. I wonder if that's going to hurt the travel for the Jacksonville game. If a lot of fans are going to go, you know what, instead of going to Jacksonville, let's just go to Nashville and have fun because Jacksonville, it's just Florida's in such rough shape right now. Um, could this be the last? No, I don't think so. Because I think Georgia will bring their home games to Sanford stadium, but I think Florida will keep playing their road games in Jacksonville. We'll see. Then comes Missouri, and that certainly will not be a game that Kirby has to worry about getting his guys up for after last year. Then comes Lane Kiffin. Then the circus comes to town. You know Lane Kiffin is going to be putting all sorts of goofy stuff on Twitter, pictures, doing everything he can to distract Kirby. He'll have a good offense. Could Old Miss be an upset watch team? I suppose if his offense is good enough, but I think the next week's game against Tennessee and Neyland Stadium is going to be the closest game of the year. I'm not sure about Joe Milton yet completely. I know he's got great arm strength, but I talked with some people at the Senior Bowl that know Tennessee really well. They're not convinced that he's got the touch passes down. I've just been so impressed with Josh Heupel, though. The last two years have been so remarkable. I actually saw Josh Heupel down at the Senior Bowl, and – I called him out because he gave me a hard time about wearing a, a red Umbro jacket to a press conference because it was freezing when I went to it. And, and I don't wear team colors. You guys know that. In fact, Georgia fans get on me. Oh, you don't wear enough Georgia gear. I, I don't wear any Georgia gear. I'm not a fan. I, I respect the program, but I'm not a fan. I respect the programs I cover, but I don't wave the pom-poms. To me, you've got to Stay objective, right? It's like, you know, like when your doctor operates on you. If he's related to you, he might allow his motions to get in the way of just clear and concise judgment. I have to be surgical in my approach. So I said to Josh, I said, Josh, man, I said, I'm still hearing about the, he's like, dude, he goes, I never make jokes. I never make jokes. He goes, but that was such a great opportunity. I said, yes, it was, it was. I said, but I'm still, he goes, man, he goes, I'm sorry. I said, nah, man, it's all right. I said, I just, I just got to tell you, man, that you really got me. You really got me on that one. Cause it just does. I'm like of all the, all 30 years of not wearing team colors and it's a cold day. And all I had is an Umbro jacket that it's actually from South Alabama is where I bought it a year before at some secondhand store. Um, it doesn't even look like a Georgia jacket. I'm wearing a light blue cap. It's in, like he calls me out for it in his press conference. Like, oh, for Pete's sake. Anyway, I think Tennessee is going to be good. And then they play at Georgia Tech. And I talked to one of the Georgia Tech players, and he told me he thinks they're going to beat Georgia in the next two or three years. And he thinks that Brett Key, you know, really changed the mentality around there. Um, you know, Buster Faulkner's there, so it'll be interesting to see now that they've got Georgia's playbook. Um, how much difference that makes. I thought they did a good job preparing for Georgia last year. So let's wrap it up with the Alabama hires. 
you know, Tommy Reese, the Notre Dame offensive coordinator, I wonder if part of this, and I think Tommy Reese, I, re- I covered Tommy Reese as a player. I saw him beat Michigan State one year in a controversial game where there was about five phantom pass interferences. I want to say 2013 when Michigan State went to the Rose Bowl that year. Should have been undefeated. Would have been in the playoff. Probably would have won the national title that year. Uh, would have beat Jameis Winston. They were Michigan State was really, really good. Le'Veon, uh, it was the year after Le'Veon Bell. Actually, Le'Veon had left the year before. But uh, Tommy Reese – um, he was a good quarterback and he's a good, he's a good coach, but he's also a Brian Kelly protege. So if you're Nick Saban, do you get a little institutional knowledge by hiring Tommy Reese? Cause LSU's a threat. LSU won the West and they bring back both of their quarterbacks. To me, this is Saban getting some Brian Kelly institutional knowledge and a really good up and coming young coach. I like that gamble. I like that hire. I know Alabama fans, I don't know who they thought they were going to get. Maybe Tom Brady was going to go there or something. But, I mean, they already, they've had Brian Dabble. They've had Bill O'Brien. They've had a run of all-star coordinators. And this guy's good. So Kevin Steele is legit. Kevin Steele was at Auburn uh, when they beat Georgia in 2017. They beat Alabama. Um, Kevin Steele is a really, really good football coach. He was darn near the head coach at Tennessee. In fact, uh I actually had a source that said he was going to get the job. And then Jeremy came in at the 11th hour and, and got it. I think I want to say maybe, well, I don't want to say anything, but I, there was, there was stuff that happened late where Jeremy was able to get the job over Kevin, but I was told Kevin was going to get it. Um, and then he was the interim head coach for a minute. And anyway, really good football coach. He was there when Saban started that program. Um, he's got great institutional knowledge of all the programs in the league, I think he'll be an upgrade from Pete Golding, who I think kind of lost his handle. Um, but the chemistry is going to be big. And I don't know what that chemistry is going to be like at Alabama without Will Anderson, without Bryce Young. I think they've got some challenges there. Uh, they're going to need to get off to a good start, and they're going to need to grow as the season progresses. And that's going to be a challenge because it's the SEC and it's tough. So I'm going to take a look and, and see if you all have any questions for me before I go. I've enjoyed tonight's show. What do we got here? What do you guys got? Any questions for me tonight? Uh, I see someone saying, I don't like LSU winning in Tuscaloosa. They wouldn't take that bet. Well, I understand. That's fair enough. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot more than one game. But, yeah, I, I get that. I just don't know who the quarterback is for Alabama. And that's usually we kind of know who's next. And I don't really see who's next for Alabama. Uh, Rich says Jeremy was a bust at Tennessee, so maybe they should have given it to Kevin. Maybe, you know, believe it or not, uh, Jeremy won eight games in a row at Tennessee at one point, and he was actually beating George at halftime. Um, And then everything went bad in the second half. So was he a bust? That didn't work out, but situation was tough. Um, We'll see. I have to do a better job of selling if I want to convince you Georgia Tech is beating. I don't think they're going to beat Georgia. I don't. I don't think that's going to happen. I just think they're going to be competitive. They were last year. I mean, they they should have been beating Georgia fourteen to zero in the second quarter. This game's going to be in Atlanta. I think you're going to have a big emotional buildup to beating Tennessee and Knoxville, but I think it's going to be a close game. And then you're going to have clinch the SEC championship game 
but you got to play in Atlanta against Tech first. Remember what happened the last time? What did happen the last time? Oh, I guess the last time was all right. The time before, 2019, when Swift got injured and Pickens got ejected, I just think Georgia Tech's going to be better. Um, just think they're going to be better. Let's see if you guys have any other questions. Any other questions before we go? Reese's Cup Cupcakes. This is for the Reese's Senior Bowl. They gave all this. They gave these hats to all the media. If you missed the beginning, I said I bought this Reese's pullover my first year down there. Uh, I like Mobile. like Mobile. I was born in Mobile, Alabama. So the, the city's special to me. The game is special in the sense that it's such a great opportunity for these players to get to know the coaches. I like what it's all about. I like Jim Nagy. Jim has been really good to, to Georgia players for sure. Um, he's invited a lot of dogs down there, and he, he really talks them up. He really likes Kirby Smart. He gives Kirby Smart a ton of credit. And I've just gotten to know Jim. Even though he's a Michigan guy and I went to Michigan State, it just goes to show you I don't really care about that kind of thing. Um, but some people do. Uh, what else we got here? Anything else tonight, guys? Any fun comments? Um, let's see. What else is happening this week? Georgia basketball, Tuesday night. Mike White, oh, my gosh, did they get killed at Texas A&M and against Auburn. And everybody goes, ah, oh, what's wrong with Mike White? <clears throat> Same thing is wrong with Tom Crane. You got to get better players. Your players aren't good enough. You're not spending enough money on players. If Georgia wants to compete in basketball, you have to pay more money for better players, period. Doesn't matter who's coaching. John Wooden can be coaching. He ain't going to win 20 games with these guys. You don't have good enough players. That's what's going on. Mike White coached you a couple wins early, but sooner or later the cream rises to the top. Kathy says Kirby Smart would never tell the team that another team was fat and lazy. Well, maybe not, Kathy, but he sure does say a lot of other things in those locker room talks. If you've ever heard that audio from Kirby, I can't even repeat it, obviously. I love it. I think it's funny. I think it's fun. It reminds me of the what we used to call black hats. They were called black hats uh, when I was in airborne school at Fort Benning. The guys that trained you, they weren't drill sergeants. They were black hats. And they wore black ball caps with their rank on them. And they acted like drill sergeants, sort of. But And they had the same sort of language, right? And it was colorful and it was hilarious. It was hilarious to me. I was in great shape. So I didn't worry about the extra push-ups or runs. I was 18 years old, man. All I did was run and work out. That's all I did. Uh, I was so gung-ho and eager to be an airborne soldier I woke up every morning. I couldn't wait um, to go out to formation and, and do all the drills and, and get ready for that first jump. Um, but those black hats, the language that they would use, they would get you so fired up. And when I hear Kirby talk to his team and, and drop some of those words, it kind of reminds me of, of how inspired and how much fun it was to get all geeked up and gung-ho for something. And you can just kind of feel it, right, when you watch those Kirby speeches, um, just how excited the Georgia Bulldogs get. So, yeah, Ryan Day's kind of complaining, but 
if we're being honest, I had to hear how many times Tyler Simmons was on sides too. It's hard to let go. And if you're Ohio State, you know that if you beat Georgia, you would have beat TCU. Ohio State was that close to getting back to their glory. But they didn't. And now Georgia is the two-time defending national champion. And now the dogs are going for three. And they got a chance to make history. I can't wait to talk to you guys more next week. The picture will get clearer every week. I'll try to get Coach Spurrier on here. You know, we've got his awards ceremony coming up um, in a few weeks in Gainesville. The Steve Spurrier, first-year coach of the year, Sonny Dykes. A pretty good selection up until 65-7. to uh, First-year coach, first-year coach. Um, Sonny Dykes beat out Brian Kelly, who lost a few games, Mike Elko at Duke. Uh, Dan Lanning, who lost a few games. So uh, that's coming up. Um, don't forget, every day, I think I heard Brandon say he's coming on like at 9.45 tomorrow morning, and then the show's at 10. So you got Dog Nation Daily with Brandon Adams every day. Jeff Santel um, didn't do the show last week. You saw why. I'm sure, I think Jeff will be on this Wednesday. You saw there's a really deep, long story about Rayola up right now. Uh, you guys saw A.J. Green retired. I saw Connor Riley had a piece on that today. Uh, ESPN named some of their impact players. Uh, Ra Ra Thomas, a guy. We're still waiting to hear what happens there. So there's a lot going on. It, you might think it's a slow time of year, but with all these Georgia players that are in the NFL draft, you got four dogs that are going to be in the Super Bowl. I don't know who you're picking in that game. See, I'm having a hard time thinking that Philadelphia won't win, but the fact that Vegas put the betting line, so all the money went to Philly. I said, God, those guys in Las Vegas, what do they know that we don't know? If Kansas City wins, doesn't Vegas lose? So that makes me kind of conflicted. Like, is there something I'm missing here? Because it sure does seem to me uh, like Philadelphia is a better team. Joseph Kennedy says, I'll bet you get Ryan Day, Jim Harbaugh, and Nick Saban, and Hugh Freeze. Man, that would be great. It's always great to talk to these other coaches. But Steve Spurrier is a legend. He's amazing. And he always has great insights. And Kirby likes, or excuse me, Saban likes, or uh, Spurrier likes Kirby Smart. Not just because of the visor. Um, he likes the way he coaches. And there's a mutual respect there. They had a chance to visit this year at the Heisman Trophy ceremony. Um, two legends in their visors, right? The two visored coaches. Two guys that went to the schools that they coached at. And won national championships. Kirby's won two. Uh, Spurrier won one. Of course, Spurrier also won a Heisman Trophy. And he's the all-time winningest coach at two different schools in the league. Pretty accomplished guy. I, I understand, you know, why he left uh, South Carolina. Um, didn't feel like he was giving the team what they needed to have and wanted to give that team some time to get some recruiting momentum. Um, but, you know, Steve Spurrier doesn't worry too much about what other people think. Um, he's certainly a legend. And, uh, you know, he was fun for people to watch. Whether you liked him or you didn't like him, you watched him. I think Kirby's kind of that guy now. I think Kirby has become that coach that people across the country want to see how he's going to act on the sidelines because he's so intense. And you just never know what Kirby's going to do. 
right? I mean, he's just the way he gets on players, uh, the way he jumps up and down and runs up and down. I think Kirby now with these great defenses, I see a lot of similarities to Spurrier. So it's kind of interesting. Anyway, guys, this has been a fun show. I appreciate you joining me. Uh, I'll be back next Monday night. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of the week. Have a great week, everybody.